Well, that's the core question, isn't it? How often should I forgive? Desmond Tutu, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, said this, if the church isn't about reconciliation and forgiveness, it isn't about anything. Yes, I like that. And so he founded Truth and Reconciliation at the end of apartheid. Revenge or reconciliation, that is the challenge, it seems to me, the gospel of Christ puts to the world in every generation and to each one of us in particular. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth on the one hand or turn the cheek on the other hand. So Peter pops the fundamental question, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him. Peter would have known, of course, the answer of the religious law of his day in the Old Testament before he asked the question. You see, in rabbinic law, a man must forgive his brother three times, and after that, draw the line. Rabbi Jose Ben Hanina said, he who begs forgiveness from his neighbor must not do so more than three times. Rabbi Jose ben Jehuda said, if a man commits an offense once, they forgive him. If he commits an offense a second time, they forgive him. If he commits an offense a third time, they forgive him. The fourth time, they do not forgive him. Yes, the fourth time, they draw the line. And similarly in the prophets, three times again and again, particularly in Amos, three times is the limit. After that, draw the line. So big-hearted Peter, of course, flawed and frail, like all of us, not least in him, thinks he's really being very generous. How many times? Oh, seven times perhaps? Draw, then draw the line? No, Peter, come off it. You of all people. And then when you, with a play on words actually in the Greek, it's quite difficult to get it. Jesus says, no, Peter, come off it, not seven times. Seventy times seven, if you want to play that game of mathematics. No, infinitely. Put another way, wherever you and I draw the line with anybody, have you met Bishop, my mother-in-law, you draw the line there? No, no. Wherever you and I draw the line, Jesus draws another line right through it. Do you see? It's the cross of Calvary, of course. That cross of Calvary stands like a signpost at the crossroads between the way of the kingdoms of this world in which it's revenge and an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that's a dead end, that road. And the way of infinite forgiveness, reconciliation and healing, a road which has no end, where there are no lines drawn. Yes, two conflicting cultures, yes, two conflicting ways of life, which we see battled in the headlines of our papers every day, every day. And so in Luke's gospel, the first words from the cross of Calvary, that signpost, yes, reads like this. They crucified him 
And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If we translate that better as a matter of fact, and I'm not trying to play just words with you, um, it's two parallel imperfect tenses in the Greek there. It should read, as they were crucifying him, he kept on saying, Father, forgive, Father, forgive, Father, forgive. Put another way, as they were knocking the nails in, he kept saying, Father, forgive, Father, forgive, Father, forgive. Because it takes a long time to nail a man to a piece of wood. It takes a long time to get you and me all the way down that road of forgiveness, being forgiven, the road that leads to heaven. So Paul, rather smartly, sums it up with a slick formula. Christ died for us, he says, while we were yet sinners, while we were knocking the nails in. And so the parable of Calvary in words is the story we see in the gospel today. Yes, that man who was forgiven a huge debt of 10,000 talents by the king, but who then went out and refused to forgive the trifling debt of a mere hundred denarii from a fellow servant. And Jesus, of course, often in his teaching, resorts to what we call hyperbole, exaggeration, to make the point. You know, it's more difficult for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven than to get a camel through the eye of a needle. You see how his teaching method is. And here it's the same thing. 10,000 talents, you see, was an incredible debt. More than the total revenue, so the commentators tell us, of the provinces of Indomir, Judea and Samaria, all put together. Bigger than the national debt of this country. <laughs> That's what he's really saying, you see. But... Freely have you received, freely give, is the message of the gospel. You have freely received forgiveness of your debt. Therefore, freely relieve others of the same. Start living measure for measure and you can't win. Yes, indeed, keep your eye on that equation and you'll lose every time. And that parable, of course, is worked out, isn't it, in the prayer of the kingdom, the prayer which Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So Jesus concludes that parable with these words, so my heavenly Father will also do to you what the king did to that servant who refused to forgive his fellow servant if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And again, Matthew repeats it in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6. Jesus says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Or in the Epistle of James, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy to others. Now, Dear friends, I don't live that way yet, and I suspect neither do you. But let's be quite clear today that that is the ultimate goal if we are to become and realize our full humanity in God. This is a huge and very important distinctive characteristic of the way the church should be showing to the world today the path to reconciliation, forgiveness, and healing 
And I can only have time to make just one point and say, we all have a need to forgive. We all need to forgive. It came home to me in a personal story which I will tell very briefly. In the 12 steps to sobriety in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, the fifth or sixth step, I can't quite remember which, the fifth or sixth step demands that the recovering alcoholic should seek out all those he or she has maimed or harmed by their sickness of alcoholism over the years and seek out to be reconciled. And so I tell a true story. When I worked in the United States as a bishop for eight years, there was a particular bishop, who shall be nameless, who resented my presence from day one and did all that he could do to harm me and to stab me in the back. Some years later, when I had returned to the UK, I received an invitation to join him at a well-known restaurant here in London for dinner. When I arrived in the restaurant, after the usual rather cold greetings, I asked the bishop why in heaven's name, after all these years, he should invite me to dinner. In his reply, he told me that he had been an alcoholic, unacknowledged and unrecognized over many years. But when he retired, he went to Alcoholics Anonymous and began their recovery program. And in that program, the fifth or sixth step, as I say, I can't remember, the fifth or sixth step to full recovery, to health and full sobriety, invites the recovering alcoholic to seek out all those he has harmed and seek their forgiveness. So said the bishop to me that night, that is why I've come all the way from the United States to London to ask your forgiveness. And then he went on, so that I can be free and so that I can move on into that fullness of life as a forgiven, forgiving sinner. That's it. That's your status. That's mine. A forgiving, forgiven sinner. That's the bottom line. Or as Archbishop Runcie used to say, we all live in moral glass houses and we can't afford to throw stones in any direction. Yes, indeed, freely have we received, freely give. Of course, it's only when we know how very much we have been forgiven by a God who knows all and has chosen to forgive all. I think it's only then we can, from that perspective, move out and move out and on to others and give to others what we know in our heart of hearts has been given freely to us. And I have to say to you, I personally find this crunch core of the truly gospel way of life, for me, I think, the most difficult to put into practice. And I suspect I'm not alone. I suspect that's at the core of the human problem throughout the whole of history and the basis of all war. And I suspect, as I said, I'm not alone. All I know is 
that what that fellow alcoholic showed to me in a small way and what God in Christ crucified has supremely shown to the world once upon a time for all time by his grace that I must strive by his grace to show to others from time to time whenever they ask for my forgiveness. If I am to be free and move on along that road that leads to health, reconciliation, fullness of life, we call abundant and eternal. It really is, at the end of the day, what we call an enlightened self-interest. Don't tell yourself you're being very virtuous. It's the best way to go. In fact, it's the only way to go. So as the hymn writer puts it, and we shall sing the hymn in a moment or two, Forgive our sins as we forgive. You taught us, Lord, to pray. But you alone can grant us grace to live the words we pray. Lord, cleanse the depths within our souls and bid resentment cease. Then reconcile to God and man. Our lives will spread your peace. Because, after all, no good praying for peace in the world unless we first pray for peace to begin right now within me today. Amen.